Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Digitally Uploaded podcast. I'm Matt Sainsbury, Editor-in-Chief of DigitallyDownloaded.net, and there's only one other person with us this week. It's a nice and quiet crew. We've, we've hid Alan out the back, so he can't talk this week. The person with us this week is Matt. Hello, Matt. Hello. How two are you Matt's doing? Just I'm good. Yeah, it's just two, it's the two mats. It's the matter matathon, matathon. <laughs> That's a pretty good name for it, I think. That's the name of the podcast this week, the matathon. Sounds good. It's, it's the best name. What have you been playing this week, Matt? Uh, I've been playing. Uh, I've mostly been playing um, Nelk and the Legendary Alchemists and yeah. MLB the Show Nineteen. Basically, yeah. the same game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're exactly the same game. <laughs> No, that's that's good. That's good. We'll talk about the sports games. We're actually going to do a segment of that this week in the podcast. But uh, Nelk, do you like Nelk? Because that's a pretty different Atelier game, that is. I do. I, I like it more than I thought I would. Yeah, um, that's I'll, that's me as well. Yeah. Yeah. From a lot of like the trailers and preview stuff, it kind of... I was a little bit suspicious of how it was all going to fit together and work. And it kind of was was looking a bit like a... Uh, I, oh, the impression I got it from trailers and stuff was it looked a bit like a um, cheaply made sort of mobile city builder kind of thing, which is yeah, really I, just not what it is at all. Yeah, that was what I was kind of worried about. Even the first couple of hours of play when you know the dungeon exploration thing was just uh, kind of on auto run and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, this this seems like it was originally going to be a mobile game and they decided to turn it into a console thing. But as you get more into it, yeah, it's certainly... It expands, let's put it that way. And it's it's yeah. good. I enjoyed it a lot. And, um, you know, a good chance to pull all my favorite characters back together again. So it was good yeah. to see Maruru there. She showed up. She, she did in a good job. Yeah. She's the best by far. Anyway, what about news? What's What's been the kind of pick of the news for you this week, Matt? Um, I think news... For me, was seeing the um, trailer for Nakoruru, Nakoruru in Samurai Showdown 2019. Um, so she had been announced before as being in the game, as well as a lot of other characters. But this is the first of, presumably, there'll be more um, trailers focusing on one specific character and showing off what kind of things they can do. Um, and I know you're a big fan of Nakoruru, Matt. And she's yeah, just a really cool... <laughs> She's pretty much the only reason to play that game. Let's face it. Yeah, and putting out putting out the controversial <laughs> opinions. I don't know. The, I... the, the, the trailer makes a good good case for that. Um, but <laughs> I, I, I would probably disagree with that statement because I think most of the characters in Samurai Shodan are really interesting and well designed, and the roster for the new one just seems to have a be very well selected in terms of getting a balance of like old and new characters and fan favorites and kind of niche characters that have only only really appeared in spin-off titles. And it's kind of, yeah, it just has a good range of everything. So I'm yeah, a bit excited about that. I know you're a huge fan of, um, a huge fan of Samurai Showdown. I must admit, I've never really got into that series. I don't know why. It's not, not for any reason. It's not like I've disliked the ones I have played, but... I've never really had a chance to get stuck into it. So I'm kind of looking forward to this one. It seems to me to be possibly the highest profile um, Samurai Showdown that they've, it seems like SNK is really trying to push this one um, into a larger 
space in the fighting game scene, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And I mean, it's already, it's not even out yet, but it's going to be one of the main games at Evo this year. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And it looks like the the production values are going to be pulled up to the point where they're pretty much equivalent to King of Fighters. It actually looks very similar to the last King of Fighters, which is not a bad thing by any means. Yeah. With a bit of blood. Quite a bit of blood, actually. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I forgot that that game actually does have the stabby action going. Um, when I, I started watching the trailer thinking, oh, yeah, this is all nice and stuff. But then, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's there's blood going everywhere. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. This game is, um, it's not quite Mortal Kombat, but it's it's certainly not sanitized. Um, no. <laughs> my pick of the news this week is actually uh, a tactics RPG series that I really like. has a action spin-off, which has finally been announced for the West. So I'm a huge fan of uh, Utawara Ramono, and I've actually finally learned how to pronounce that after playing those games so much because that is a very long title (laughs) um (laughs) but yeah i I was a huge fan of those they're kind of visual novels crossed with fire emblem style tactics rpgs and and there was one that was announced i don't know if it's been released in japan yet but there there is a kind of action spin-off called utawara ramono zan and uh it was kind of dynasty warrior style mixed with rpg leveling up and all that kind of stuff so it looked really good um and i don't know if i was expecting it to come out west i probably wasn't <laughs> but uh it has been announced that it is and that's a good thing for me uh, i don't know have you played those ones at all matt i haven't Ooh, i want to in- i've been meaning <laughs> to but i need to just find time and money for them which is yeah you it's they're quite time consuming to say the least. I think <laughs> I think um, I think the two games that are currently available on PlayStation uh, Four and Vita, I think each of them clocks in at about eighty hours um, to oh, wow. get through because they are they are very much a full vision novel mixed with a uh, full tactics RPG thing. Yeah. So uh, and and they are direct sequels to one another. So you're looking at one hundred and sixty odd hours up front before you even get into the two that have been announced and are coming later this year so yeah you're in for a lot of play i think that should be illegal making games that long yeah i think so too we've we've discussed this on the podcast before but 20 hour max yeah Yeah, 20 hour max trials of cold steel too anything longer Um, than that there's there's (laughs) the price the price decreases to compensate for the increased time cost yeah that's exactly right um yeah, okay, so we'll go to some music, some Hatsune Miku music. We might pick some music from uh, one of the producers that everybody loved. <laughs> His name was Waraka. Um, he unfortunately passed away this week, which was very sad. Um, but his music is in all of the Miku games, and I think I, I, I would generally say that um, I, I wouldn't be the fan of Miku that I am was were it not for his particular tracks because they were really some of the ones that pulled me in when I was just starting out to learn about Vocaloids and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, very sad news this week uh, and we will play one of his better-known tracks and we'll come back and we'll talk about something very different to the Miku.
And welcome back, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that track. So for the first section of the podcast this week, we are going to talk about sports games, which is something we don't often talk about on the digitally uploaded podcast. But actually, uh, you might not guess it from the way that we talk about RPGs and fan service stuff like crazy. Uh, we are actually fans of sports <laughs> games as well. We do like hitting the balls around a bit. Um, and I know you've been playing the new MLB one quite a bit, Matt. So tell me about this one. Should I play it? Because the last MLB one I played was 15 or 16. So it's actually been quite a few years since I last played one of these Sony baseball games. Is this one a good baseball games? Um, I think it is. It's. I mean, also the last one I've played, I think, was 15 as well. Um, but yeah, 19 is a, is a good baseball games. Um, assuming you like baseball, obviously, it kind of goes without saying that you're not going to enjoy a sports game unless you enjoy the sport that is involved um and yeah it's kind of got it's a, a lot of a, to a large extent it's similar to previous ones it has all the the same kind of there's the the online collect cards kind of mode for people to sink all their money into which i tend to stay away from but one of the new um things in this year that i really like is a new mode called march to october and so it's basically like a it's a sort of abridged season mode. So instead of going in and having to play a full 162 game season, which takes a long time, um, <laughs> it, it kind of just it skips between key moments or what it describes as key moments. Um, and then so that's things like winning your opening game or, you know, um, sweeping a rival in a series. Um, that kind of thing, or and even it doesn't even necessarily mean winning the game. It might just mean like stopping being completely shut out of a game by getting a one run in um, that kind of stuff. And then how well you do on those um, moments then influences how the games in between are simulated. And so basically, doing well, you you play these small moments every couple of matches and then how well you do affects how well your team does on everything in between and yeah See, it's a I good really, way of... i really like that feature <laughs> i didn't know about it um but one of the things that's actually put me off playing these baseball games in the past has been the fact that it is a 162 match season it's like i'm just not going to find the time for that so why bother so yeah this is a really nice solution to that problem i guess that's, that's yeah really clever yeah yeah, it works, and it works really well because it still has has that same feel of like playing a season and you sort of being in control of your team's destiny. And but even even in the games that you're not actually playing, you still your actions still affect how that all goes down. Um, and focusing on on the most exciting bits, so you're not just. I mean, if you play play a normal season, a lot of that time is spent probably just if you're me a lot of that time is spent striking out but it's not not as much fun as as the rest is, other parts of the game but is it mechanically a difficult game to get into because i can't remember i mean i know these are serious simulations as opposed to certain other baseball titles um but i mean it's they... not hugely it, i mean it depends on i guess 
how familiar you are with baseball and with the kind of the the strategies involved in baseball and um wait there so are if, strategies in baseball i thought it was just swing 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 <laughs> the, the, yeah there are and strategies and particularly around pitching and sort of how you're pitching oh you mean like when they deliberately like, hit the guy <laughs> well that too but also just what type of pitch you throw and are you going to throw a fastball or a curveball or and you know where where in the strike strike zone are you aiming for and do you deliberately throw a ball just outside the strike zone to try and get someone to swing at it at a ball that he can't hit because because yeah. you've seen that he's quite trigger heavy with swinging all that kind of stuff um and so it's yeah it's not great at introducing that kind of stuff so if you're not um don't know at least a little bit about how baseball works you're probably just going to be swinging and either hitting the ball or not based on a flip of the coin um <laughs> but in terms of the actual like the, the the controls and how all that works it's all very introduces itself well and there's a few different con control schemes for each part of the game depending on just your personal preference um and because I guess that's one of the nice things about baseball compared to some of the other American sports, uh, well, compared to the other three big ones being uh, basketball, ice hockey, and uh, gridiron. Baseball is a relatively simple sport, mechanically. Um, I mean, it, yeah. it, it is a relatively simple sport. It's just throw the ball, <laughs> throw the ball, yeah. uh, and then swing at it. And, you know, that, yeah. that, that reduces down to buttons on the controller quite easily compared to the yeah the ridiculousness that is those other sports where you have now three million different button prompts that you need to remember and it's <laughs> it's like it's more complex than a fighting game so you know why bother with with nhl but yeah, yeah baseball baseball's a little bit cleaner that way which makes for a better video game i want to say i i prefer my I sports so. games to be relatively simple um yeah and, and i'm oh, sorry, sorry go didn't you? no no go ahead um, I was going to say, I'm the same, and that's one of the things I really like about it. Um, but then at the same time, for people who want something really hardcore, like the the depth of the management simulation, like in franchise mode, is ridiculous. That's yeah, and that's, good. I guess, that's that's where I like to have the depth as well. I mean, I'm one of those people that actually plays the football manager games, um, which have no on-field action. <laughs> Sorry, what's that? I said spreadsheet simulator. Yeah, spreadsheet simulator. I do love my spreadsheet simulator, actually. Yeah. Um, I've drowned like 100 hours into both of the two that have been released on the Switch so far um, because they're great. I, I do like that strategy side of things. And, yeah, baseball lends itself quite well to that as well because you need yeah. to have a large stable of players and you need to manage fatigue much better than in some other sports because they do have that 162-hour, 162-game uh, season. So... That's the kind yeah. of stuff. It's great. Um, the one thing that I don't yeah. like about the Sony baseballs game is that it's just purely based on America, uh, the American League, and I do like my sports games to have the international component. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I'm I'm just crying out for somebody to pick up a World Cup or to do a World Cup edition of baseball or something, um, which is about the national teams and and whatever. That would be nice. Probably won't happen, unfortunately. But that segues into 
the other baseball game that I'm looking forward to is Konami because everybody forgets that Konami has a baseball series because they only release it in Japan, but they actually do a baseball series for the Japanese Baseball League. And as a big fan of the Tokyo Giants, I'm actually going to import that one. I think it looks really good this year. It's the first one for a couple of years, isn't it? I think it is actually the first realistic one. They've put out the bobblehead ones constantly. Oh, yeah. But yeah, this is the first kind of one with photorealistic players and all that kind of stuff. And it actually really does look good. I'm I'm surprised. Yeah. A, a quick Google tells me that the last um, ProYAQ Spirits was 2015. Oh, there you go. So it has been quite a few uh, years yeah. now. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, I haven't actually played <laughs> one of those games. So. Um, I came to Japanese baseball only over the last couple of years, really, when I started going to some matches while I was when I'm in Japan. Um, so I've become a fan of the 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 league since. So yeah, this will be my first one of those, which would be good. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. I might import it as well. Um, I haven't never really paid too much attention to Japanese baseball until recently, but I've been enjoying it. Um, watching a few games every now and then, and they tend to be, at least for someone in New Zealand, the baseball games tend to be on at a much more reasonable time of day than the American games, which are on at like three in the morning usually. How do you watch them on YouTube? Um, I'm not allowed to say on podcast. Oh, you found a way. <laughs> okay, well, you can sneak me a note off offline and... Um... I will steals the contents too, <laughs> <laughs> because it is hard to actually follow the sport. That's the thing. It um, it, they don't broadcast outside of Japan. I have the same problem. I'm also a big fan of the J League, uh, the football competition they have, because my local team in Japan is Kawasaki Frontale, and they happen to be one of the strongest teams in the league. So I get to cheer for the not underdog for a change. Um, but yeah, it's hard, pretty hard to follow them from here in Aussie, Aussie land. Um, I, don't, I don't think I'd call Tokyo Giants underdogs. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I mean, <laughs> most of the other sports. Most of the other sports. When I pick a team, I always end up picking the the weakest team, um, and then going for the underdog. Like, for example, I'm a big fan of cricket, as everybody knows, and my favourite cricket team is the Zimbabwean national team, and they didn't <laughs> they didn't even qualify for the World Cup this year. That's how bad they are. So I, I'm just used to always going for the underdog. But with um, with football, I lucked out, and my local team is actually the one of the strongest. Um, and same with baseball. Tokyo Giants are pretty good. Although the two times I've watched them, they've lost. So <laughs> like live, when I've actually been in the in the stadium, they've lost. Oh, and that's yeah. been pretty bad. I lost. I watched them lose to the Osaka team, um, the Honshin Tigers. Tigers. And oh, that was, yeah, great atmosphere in the stadium, but very sad <laughs> walking out. <laughs> yeah, very, very sad. That's like, uh, that's, that's one of the biggest rivalries in... Japanese sport, those two teams for listeners who don't know, who uh, maybe don't follow baseball, Japanese baseball so closely. Whenever those two play, it's a it's a big turnout and it's loud, very loud in the in the um, field. And I I'm a Tigers that, fan, so ah, uh, you're a Tigers fan. That's true. So yes. we should we should um, I don't know when Tokyo Game Show's on or something. We should both go over and then go to a baseball match, and we can be yeah. the two Gaijin. <laughs> we can be the two Gaijin in the two different uniforms and cheering on the two different yeah. players. It'd be, it'd be a great sight. We'd be on TV for that. On that note, we'll go to some music, I think. Um, well, 
sports games don't have very good musics usually or they've got licensed musics so it's not very yeah. interesting so we'll pick some musics from something else what's something good um what's good music that i've been tuning into you know what i'm going to pick some music i hope i can find it uh if i can um from Sword and Fairy, which is a Chinese RPG game, which we're not going to talk about on the podcast, but uh, I've been playing it quite a lot, and it actually has a really, really good soundtrack because, yeah, it, it's heavy on the Chinese themes and instruments and stuff. So it's unlike a lot of other music out there, and I think it's I think it's quite enjoyable. It's a really good feature in the game. So we'll listen to that if I can find it, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about something completely different to sports. And welcome back, everybody. So for the second section of our podcast this week, we are going to talk about Final Fantasy. That's something we have never talked about on this podcast before, as everybody who listens Final to the podcast will know. Yeah, we, we, yeah we're, we're going to go in depth and explain to you what Final Fantasy is, because we're sure that you've never heard of this franchise before. Um, but seriously, there is an awful lot of Final Fantasy coming out on the Switch in the coming weeks, because Final Fantasy X and Ten Two happens this week. And then Final Fantasy XII comes about a week later, I believe, isn't it? Or is it the same week? 
I think uh, I think it's a couple of weeks later. Okay. Anyway, it's it's soon. And uh, just recently, there was also Final Fantasy VII and IX re-released on the Switch. And both of those have kind of topped the sales chart. So obviously, people are still buying these games and still playing these games and still loving them. Um, And we thought we'd talk about that because, yeah, we do like to talk about Final Fantasy. So, Matt, uh, will you be picking up any of these reports, even though you've already played the games plenty of times before? Is there anything about the Switch version that would pull you in? Um, just being able to play it on Switch, really. That's, that's a good thing. thing that, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I, te- I, I tend to prefer playing JRPGs on handhelds anyway, because you can just lie down and get comfortable and they take a long time so you might as well be comfortable while you're playing it <laughs> but i don't tend to take my vita with me around many places these days so just having them on switch will be good um i've also been meaning to replay final fantasy 10 2 for a few years now and just keep starting and then get distracted by other things and never end up going getting very far but i really do enjoy that game so uh, when it, when it comes out on Switch, I'm going to dedicate some proper time to it. I mean, the good thing about the Switch is, as a handheld, that screen's nice and big, and for kind of cinematic games like Final Fantasy are, um, yeah, that works, that works well to its benefit. Um, and yeah, good good pick on Final Fantasy X2. That one has a has an interesting uh, reputation among Final Fantasy fans. There's a lot of people that really can't stand it, but I don't know. I'm like you. I really enjoyed it. I think it's a good game. Um, I think it's a very, very, di- very different in tone to Final Fantasy X, and I think that puts a lot of people off, but I find that shift in tone quite interesting and enjoyable, and it's nice to see, I guess, a fun side to what is a pretty serious Final Fantasy X. It's kind of the two sides of the same coin, and I, I, I liked that. Yeah. And I think it, it, it's good as a follow-up as well, and it, it's... It is very fun and lighthearted, but but also not in a lot of ways, and particularly in terms of just kind of Yuna's character exploration and her dealing with what happened in the ending of Final Fantasy X. It's quite, I think, well 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 written and well implemented. That it ends up being quite an emotional game. For me, yeah, anyway. uh, yeah, it's it's certainly not. It's not outrageously silly. I'm not talking like it's a, it's not dead or alive or Senran Kagura or anything <laughs> like that. It, it has no. its it certainly has its uh, more serious moments and the characters are more developed characters. But I don't know. I mean, for me, the thing that I always found most amusing or most enjoyable about Final Fantasy X two was the costume system and how yeah. how kind of fan servicey those costumes were. They were a lot of fun. They weren't. You know, yeah, over, they weren't as over the top as fan service has got in the years since, but I think, <laughs> I think that game was certainly a pioneer in the whole fan service side of things as well. Which, yeah, which sounds funny, I guess, but you know, back back with the PlayStation Two, that was really the first time that developers had the t- technology they could render human characters that looked human enough to to make fan service a thing. So, I think Final Fantasy X2 is kind of a pioneer in that way as well, which was which was neat, especially back then. I had a thing for Riku, and Riku's costumes are certainly interesting in Final Fantasy X2. That they are. <laughs> I think that, um, um, it also, I think, has 
one of the best battle systems in the series. It does, it does. And it's kind of a battle system that directly led to Final Fantasy XIII's battle system, I feel. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. Not Final Fantasy XIII, sorry, more more the later ones, uh, especially Lightning Returns. Um, yeah, I, I think without X2, we yeah. wouldn't have had Lightning Returns, that's for sure. The Final Fantasy XIII Um So yeah, the the ability to switch between jobs in the middle of a battle was was really neat. Um, the fact that each character you know could make good use of each job as well was was cool. Uh, it wasn't you weren't forced into a particular role for any character. Um, yeah. Which is a nice change from Final Fantasy X again, because Final Fantasy X, you really were kind of ramroded into certain roles for different characters. And while technically you could make Yuna a thief or something, she was definitely designed to be a white mage through the game. So most people yeah. just played it played it that way, whereas Final Fantasy X2 more encourages you to experiment, which is nice. And so you'll work through Final Fantasy X and then X2, and then you'll do that in two weeks because these aren't long games, not at all. Um, <laughs> and then Final Fantasy XII will come out. And that one for me is the one that I'm really looking forward to on the Switch because I am a massive fan of Final Fantasy XII. Uh, I think that is probably my favorite in the series, in fact, which is controversial to say, but I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, I thought it, I, I really like the way that that game handles kind of uh, its political uh, plot and threads. And it's a very kind of epic game because of the kind of tensions between nations. And, you know, it makes, it, it asks good questions about imperialism and, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's quite a dense game. Uh, I don't know. Have you actually played it, Matt, at any stage? Yeah. Um, I Well, I played it when it first came out and... Uh, didn't really like it, but I was, I don't know, I would have been about full 15 or 16 or something like that when it came out, um, which probably explained a lot of why I didn't really like it. But then I, you know, I played the game when it came out on PlayStation 4, and that basically changed my view on it, because as you said, it's a really good game, and just the the way the story deals with the, yeah, everything you, that you've said basically with the, with the um, the conflict between the nations and how the people how the people on the ground are affected by that as well. I think is is a big and important thing, and it's yeah, I really like it. And again, the battle system is really very different to anything else that's come before or since, but I think it works really well and suits that game very well. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's got a great kind of transitionary battle system between all uh, kind of basically the entire mechanics of that kind of transition between Final Fantasy of before, which was you know random battles and um, very distinct kind of you you know you wander through a linear um, you'd wander down the linear path you'd run into some random encounters which were always kind of off screen or you know. You, you'd have that screen transition and then you'd have that turn-based combat and then you go back and then, you know, you continue wandering down the linear path. Whereas Final Fantasy XII has a much more kind of open environment for a start leading towards, you know, some of the, some of the more open RPGs that we see these days. And also the combat system happened within that, that space. So there wasn't that transition between the world and the combat, which was nice. It, it, had a better sense of world building as a result. It had a better. It was. It was a more seamless experience, and I think that was, 
that was to the game's strength. Um, but yeah, again, for me, it was the it was definitely the characters and the the plot that really attracted me to Final Fantasy XII. I liked that it was one of the few Final Fantasies that actually asked the question whether <laughs> what you're doing is righteous in the first place, with what you're doing, uh, whether you're kind of inadvertently playing as the bad guys by accident, um, or you know, the, there is that kind of moral compromise about the characters and and some of the stuff that they get up to, which is nice. I always like when RPGs are willingly uh willing and able to explore i guess the not just assume that you're a hero just because you're in tr control of the characters that's not something that happens that often even today so i like that as well yeah i agree what it would is... be nice it would be nice to see in final fantasy 12 too it'd be nice to see screenix return to that one because amongst other things it's also um it's also the most distinct world, I think, in the Final Fantasy series because it has that. It, it is a fantasy uh, world, much like some of the earlier Final Fantasies, but it has that Middle Eastern theme to it as mm. well, and that was nice. Like visually and aesthetically, it's very different to the other Final Fantasy games, and it had a stronger sense of. It, it had its own personality because it was not just a generic fantasy world. It actually had it was built around you know a specific style um i quite like that as well so yeah that's um that's the final fantasies that are coming out and that's uh, you know like we mentioned at the start of the section you also have final fantasy 7 and 9 on the switch which you can pick up as well both of which are workable ports they're probably not i mean both of them have some issues uh, unfortunately but yeah. uh, for the most for the most part they are perfectly playable and you certainly don't you know, miss out on any of the storytelling stuff, which is the real reason to play a Final Fantasy anyway. Uh, you can enjoy how absolutely ugly Final Fantasy VII is all over again. <laughs> it's delightful. It really is. I'm playing it through, and it's just the ugliest game. It was ugly when it came out. It's just getting older and older and <laughs> uglier and uglier, where Final Fantasy IX actually has that retro attraction to it. It, it looks... Mm. I mean, it's aging nicely. Final Fantasy IX is aging like a really good wine. Final Fantasy VII is aging like a, a box of goon. Um, and it's just... Uh, I, I like the, the narrative of Final Fantasy VII. <clears throat> I like what it's the story that it's telling. I like some of the characters. Um, I like the, the vision behind it, but I just can't stand it. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, it's just... yeah. I think I don't, don't enjoy it as much these days as I used to, but but nine is very good, and I still enjoy nine it nine yeah nine nine's yeah. a masterpiece. Um, it'd be nice if Screenix could find a copy of Final Fantasy VIII somewhere and then reverse engineer it, because I know we've talked yeah. about this on the podcast before. The story is that Screenix actually lost all the code to Final Fantasy VIII, so the reason that we're not seeing any ports of it on anywhere is because they actually haven't got anything to stick anywhere, which is just oh dear. Um, it means that. Yep. What you Apparently, saying? that was the same situation with Seven, but they managed they to found a copy somewhere. Find the time and budget to put the work in to recreate it. And so it's just, I guess, them deciding that eight isn't worth that effort. Or Which money. is silly because eight's actually great. <laughs> um, I miss eight, actually. I think eight is a. Eight is so good. 
I think if people had a chance to rediscover eight now, they might, because I know at the time it was a little bit, it put people off because it had some odd design choices and it was different. And as we all know, gamers don't like different. No. Um, but once you get over that difference, it's actually a really good game with great characters and um, great setting, brilliant music. I think it's the best Final Fantasy soundtrack. Yeah. Man with the machine, Man with the Machine Gun is a brilliant piece of music, um, and I play it again just for that. So I think yeah. um, when it first came out, there was a lot of, from what I remember, a lot of people complaining that it was too much of a love story, and you know. Games can't be love stories because they have to be manly, manly, manly game games. But which is also bizarre to me because not really, but also every Final Fantasy game is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, it's funny. Maybe, maybe they only played to the point where they got to that dance at the start. Um, yes, and because there was dancing, you know, dancing's not very. Manly. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> and that, that 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 scene is amazing. I think it still is one of the best cutscenes ever in a video game. And I didn't realize they actually mocapped all of that, which yeah. um, I, I did not realize until about a year ago when someone put up some footage of the actual motion capture um, session that yeah, went on in making it. And I was like, oh, so that was actually motion captured. And that makes a lot more sense because it can't be easy to animate an entire dance. So, <laughs> um, it makes sense that they'd have motion capture, but it's just something you don't think about, you know? You don't think about no. games that old actually having motion capture in them. So, but yeah, that that was a, that's a really impressive scene. It's got a, that song is actually really impressive too. Um, Waltz to the Moon. Yeah. A really, be a really beautiful uh, piece of music. And yeah, it would be great if Square Enix could just listen to this podcast and just, <laughs> you know, just find a copy. I, I've got a disc copy somewhere. I'd be happy to send it to your Screenix if you can, like, reverse it and rip the code off or something, um, and then just stick it on my Switch. That would be nice. That'd be really nice. Um, on that note, well, why don't we play Waltz to the Moon? That's a good song. Um, yeah, we'll play that. We'll come back. We'll talk about something else.
And welcome back, everybody. So, for the last section of the podcast, we are going to talk about retro because uh, we do like our retro at digitallydownloaded.net. And Matt and I both spent a lot of time playing retro games, even with all the new things coming out, so even with all the shinies. Um, I think I, I, I think I can safely speak for Matt to say we would all much rather be playing classic Konami games than Days Gone. Ha! I got it in there. <laughs> I managed to I managed to I managed to make fun of Days Gone in this podcast. So there we go. Embargo broken. Um <laughs> Sony blacklisted me. Anyway, so we are going to talk about retro and actually particularly we're going to talk about uh, I guess an ongoing debate with developers that are working with retro games on whether you just put the retro game out as it is uh, and leave it uh, warts and all and issues that people have with it and all or you take the opportunity to do something with it whether it's to tweak things or completely remake them and just give people a kind of an entirely new look at it and i guess what inspired this topic was i'm playing through shadowgate on the switch at the moment shadowgate was released this week and for people who don't know shadowgate is a remake of Funnily enough, Shadowgate, which was a game released way back on the NES, and I think I think it was the Apple, whatever it was at the time. It's a really old game, in other words, and it was one of the first kind of point and clicks, and it was really great. I loved playing it back in the day, but for this remake, they've gone and obviously redone all of the art um, and tried to modernize how it plays and all of that kind of stuff. And I think in the process, it's actually lost quite a bit of its soul, unfortunately. It doesn't feel like Shadowgate much anymore. Um, even when I switch on the features to use the original music and the original transitions from one screen to the next as you move around the place, it still doesn't feel like the Shadowgate that I remember. And that's that's disappointing to me. So I, I, I guess I'm not a huge fan of using these kinds of old games and doing a complete remake of them. I mean, the other great example is Final Fantasy VII and the remake looking like it's absolutely going to ruin the legacy of Final Fantasy VII, <laughs> um, unless they spend another 10 years in development of it. But, oh, yeah, but yeah, I don't know. Are you a fan of complete remakes, Matt? Um, it's a tricky question because it kind of just... For me, it just depends on the game and basically whether they do a good job of remaking if it's if it's done in a way that kind of preserves the the spirit of the original game but maybe makes it easier to access or ad addresses some of them more tedious elements of it um i guess and oh yeah i guess it also depends on the original game like i mean one one thing that i think is a good example of doing a good job is with the the um ports of final fantasy 7 and 9 that are on switch and ps4 at the moment which are are the original games as they are but then they've got those little extra optional functions built in for like fast forward fast forwarding or give yourself some instant money kind of thing if you want to just avoid some of the grinding element and i think that's a good way of of um 
yeah, approaching bringing those games forward and to the and updating them for for modern sensibilities, I guess, but without really just overwriting everything that made the game what it was in the first place. Yeah, it's a good point. But then I, I'd also suggest that those games have stuff done to them that I, I really don't like, <laughs> um, particularly with the character models. So what they've done with those ports, uh, at least on the Switch, um, is high-res up the, the character models so that they're kind of, you know, that they look like they would were developed, you know, in this kind of time. So they work for 1080p. And all that kind of stuff. But what they haven't been able to do that to the backgrounds because the backgrounds were all pre-rendered. And um, unfortunately, that means that the characters actually really stand out against the backgrounds now. Like, it, it's yeah. even more obvious than it was back in the day. And that, to me, is really ugly. It's a really ugly effect. And I wish there was a way to turn that off, but you can't, as far as I can tell. So, no. yeah, it's, it's difficult. Because whenever you mess with something that is that kind of classic, you do have the potential of, of upsetting people <laughs> uh, in in some way who want that that nostalgic experience. So perhaps the best way that developers should yeah. go th about it is to include the base game there, just you know, warts and all for people who want that. And I, I think, think there have been a, a couple of games. There's been a couple of games that have done that. Like I think, um, was it one one of the Monster Boy games? I think. Um, trying to in anyway there was a, a, a game that came out a couple of years ago that was a remake of a um uh platformer from the kind of sega genesis days and had which and it had been like completely all the all the assets all, all the art assets had been completely redrawn um and the high res kind of thing but then you could it still had all the original things and you could just switch between them by at the press of a button um, yeah, and that's a good way of also of meaning that if people want to play it exactly as it was, there's that option. And I think that's that's a good way of doing it. Um, unless you are going to go to all the effort that you know, for example, Capcom did with Resident Evil Two to really rebuild it from scratch. Um, but yeah, again, Final Fantasy VII doesn't look like it's going to be Resident <laughs> Evil Two. It it just doesn't look like it's going to be up to that same standard and it looks like that project's in all kinds of trouble because I guess one of the challenges that developers have when they work on these kinds of games, especially stuff that is as well-remembered and respected as Resident Evil 2 and Final Fantasy 7 is, is you just can't... Uh, the, the pressure of not screwing it up must be intense for the team <laughs> because you just know the scrutiny on it is going to be that much more than a new game even. Uh, even if... Final Fantasy 16 was to come out at the same day as Final Fantasy 7 Remake, all the attention is going to be on whether they did the original Final Fantasy 7 justice. Um, yeah. Whereas that, Final Fantasy 16 kind of gets away with it a little bit because it's not it's not a remake of anything, so they can do things and <laughs> potentially try things and, and potentially do stuff that pe some people don't like because they've got that new title, Creative Freedom, I guess. Yeah, I guess, and I think that's probably one of the problems with the FF Seven remake. Like, no matter what they do, they're not going to please everyone, and it's such a high-profile game and something that is, is so 
beloved by so many people that you're not going to please everyone and whoever's not pleased is going to be very vocally upset. Uh, yeah, it just it seems like a project that's doomed, doomed to fail. Yeah, and it was probably a mistake to do it in the first place, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then, I mean, a couple of years ago, you probably would have said the same thing about Resident Evil 2. And true, everyone true. who loved the original seems to love the remake. So, Yeah, absolutely. And whether that is just a kind of one-off or not, I, I, I don't know. It seems like Resident Evil 2 got away with stuff that uh, a lot of game projects possibly wouldn't. Um, perhaps because the stuff that people didn't like about the original Resident Evil 2, or perhaps because the memory that people have of Resident Evil 2 doesn't match up with if you go back and play it now, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because yeah. that game is a hot mess to play, the original. Um, <laughs> by today's standard, it's not a particularly well-played game. It's, it's a game that people remember really well because it was so foundational to the horror genre in video games and... It was. It had that kind of impact. It was that big impact game at the time. But nostalgia um, is overly friendly to that game because if you go back and play it, it's just not very good now. So perhaps Resident Evil 2, the remake, is that opportunity for people to play that game in a way that still makes sense today, if that makes sense. Uh, whereas Final Fantasy VII is still very playable today. So yeah. there's not anything that people are really calling out for to be fixed. I think people... At least I know when they initially announced that they're going to remake Final Fantasy VII, I was certainly just looking forward to an exact remake of Final Fantasy VII, just with better graphics. Um, yeah. I didn't want this, you know, episodic crap that they've now announced, <laughs> or I, I didn't want this, uh, you know, action combat system. Where did that come from? Final Fantasy VII was this slow-paced, you know, uh, traditional Final Fantasy game. That's what people love about it still. Why, why do the action thing? I don't understand yeah. that. That, To me, that's trying to fix something that wasn't a problem in the first place, whereas Resident Evil 2 was fixing things that were actual problems. Um, so, yeah. And I, I, guess, and I guess that's probably the good principle or philosophy there is, of, are, you, are you fixing things that are broken or are you just trying to do a modern interpretation of something for the sake of doing a modern interpretation of something. Especially when modern game design, especially in that kind of top tier, that AAA, that blockbuster space, it's it's fundamentally different to what they tried to do back in a couple of generations of consoles ago. So back with when Final Fantasy VII was new and all of that kind of stuff, it wasn't it wasn't focus group to, to death. It wasn't this game that was designed to be everything to all people. It was designed to be a Final Fantasy game and, you know, they, they just happened to have a big enough audience for it that it was commercially viable. So they did it. But these days, game development has shifted where you need to have huge budgets because the cost of making games is that much higher. And because of that, you need to appeal to absolutely every person. And that's a big problem that a lot of developers have fallen into because it makes them do things to their games that um, that don't really work but don't really offend either, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, the reason you take out turn-based battles is because some people don't like turn-based battles. You know, that's, that is a thing about RPGs that turns quite a few people off. 
So instead, you end up with Final Fantasy XV, which is pretty soulless uh, in the end. Uh, I, I love Final Fantasy XV, but it's certainly not up to the creative standards of earlier Final Fantasy games. And part of that reason is because they removed everything that was creative from the earlier Final Fantasy games in order to appeal to the maximum number of people that might want to play the game. So I think Final Fantasy VII is a bit, of, bit in that trap. Yeah. I don't know how Resident Evil 2 got away with it. I guess the horror genre is a little bit insulated because just by nature of being scary, it, it turns people off anyway. So they work within that constraint. They know they're never going to be able to overcome that one. And once you get in the mindset where you are okay with some people not playing your game, you, you can be a little bit more creative with some other ideas as well. That That's possibly it. Because I don't yeah. find the horror... Even the AAA horror games, they take more risks simply because I think, like I said, they just... Um, they know they can't be everything to everybody, which is why Activision doesn't make horror games. That's true. Well, I guess you could call Sekiro a horror game. It certainly terrifies me. I come up to the boss and I'm just terrified. I'm scared. It scares me. <laughs> but anyway, on that note, we might wrap the podcast up for this week. What are we going to play? Matt, you can pick the music this time. I'm tired. Um, God. Shall we pick something from... Does Shadow, Shadowgate have good music? Oh, it does, actually. We'll get some music from Shadowgate, yes. It actually has a really good soundtrack. Um, so let's do that. And we will all see you next week. Thanks for tuning in, as always. I hope you enjoyed it. And, yeah, thanks for jumping on the podcast, Matt. Bye.